1: We are your host for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and Interventional Cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education series, Dr. John Phillips. Hey
2: everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm in Denver, Colorado. Today, really exciting. I have a lot to share about my experience here with the world renowned Dr. Aaron Armstrong. So stay tuned for that. But we're going to be talking about carotid artery disease. You know, a diagnosis of a narrowing in or blocked arteries leading to your brain can be really, really scary. Just ask Nancy from South Carolina. She was diagnosed with carotid artery disease and learned that because of it, She was at risk of stroke. The carotid arteries, one on the right, the other on the left, are major blood vessels in the neck that supply blood to the the face, the neck, and your brain. One third of all strokes are related to diseased carotids. Carotid artery disease occurs when fatty deposits or plaque builds up in these arteries. And what's scary is someone with this disease often does not experience any symptoms in its early stages it first becomes obvious when it's serious enough to deprive the brain of oxygen leading to stroke, stroke or a transient ischemic attack or tia nancy was one of the lucky ones who discovered it early because she was being monitored closely following a heart attack and she's going to be here to share her journey from diagnosis clear to treatment, which just happened last month. And that's going to pave the way for a grander discussion on carotid artery disease, current diagnosis and treatment guidelines, and ongoing discussions amongst industry and government leaders that will impact how and when physicians can provide more than medication to improve that blood flow and prevent life-threatening complications. So a big show ahead. But you know what? It's already been... A big morning for you, John. So you're all set to go, revved up and ready. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, you know, I have the pleasure of being on call again this weekend. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> Everyone you else have on a lo- summer vacation. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to let your partners take time off and whatnot. So I've got several calls in, in July. But uh, yeah, I treated a patient with uh, a pulmonary embolism. So uh, she young person and had covid about three or four weeks ago and was you know we don't hear much about covid anymore it's as if it never happened but nonetheless she had covid a few weeks ago was laid up pretty sick and because of that was not moving around much and and that is a risk factor for developing a blood clot in the leg veins and you know certain percentage of those folks have some of that clot jettison its way and get stuck in the pulmonary arteries and cause a pulmonary embolism and she was very short of breath and our uh, intensive care uh, physicians kind of picked up on this and, and obviously uh, we had a cat scan that's the way we diagnosed this and she had a lot of clot and we felt like she would benefit from removal of some of that clot so we took her to the catheterization lab and basically sucked the clot out with a long tube and a, and a, a syringe and um, got her feeling better right away and and uh, hopefully she'll be able to go home tomorrow and uh, she'll need to be on some blood blood thinners for a while, but. uh um, we we felt like we helped somebody today, and that's always a good feeling.
2: Oh, what a way to kick off the weekend! Not only saving legs, but also now <laughs> saving a life.
3: Well, yeah, it, and you know um, what? The intro that you provided is 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 very fascinating to me. I I, I know Aaron. Does carotid work? I don't do carotid work anymore. I had to choose between carotids and venous superficial venous insufficiency in treating veins. So I i, I decided I was going to do veins and let my partners do carotids. But you know, talking about carotids is a very it, it, it's a difficult subject for patients. Uh, we know that. and I'm just looking at the NIH um, website here. About eight hundred thousand people in the U.S. have a have a stroke a year. And about 140 of them, 140,000 of them die, and a, a, a lot of those are what we call ischemic in nature, from lack of blood flow. Not necessarily, and then you know the other percentage are when the a blood vessel breaks. But there are a lot of people that have blockages in their carotid arteries that, uh, because like like we've talked about, right, you can get blockages in the leg arteries, the heart arteries, the neck arteries. The blockage doesn't really care. And they're still the same risk factors, high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes. Um, but, you know, Aaron's an interventional cardiologist, as am I. And when someone has a blocked artery in their heart, they often have symptoms. And, and you know, we open up that blocked artery and they feel better. But folks with carotid disease don't necessarily, a lot of them don't have symptoms. And so then yeah. we're kind of hemming and hawing about how we should treat it. And we're going to get into that. treat and- or
2: not to treat, right?
3: Well, yeah, exactly. And then the other issue, too, is explaining that to the patient, because in their yeah. mind, they're like, oh, wait a second, I've got a 80, 70% blockage here, and you're not going to do anything other than put me on cholesterol medicine and watch my blood pressure. And, you know, so it's it's an interesting topic. We haven't talked about carotids yet uh, after doing 50 plus shows. So I'm excited to, to hear Nancy's story and, and kind of get into it.
2: Yeah. And it was interesting because being in Denver, Colorado, I had the opportunity. I've been chasing after Dr. Armstrong for a couple of years now. I heard he was in Colorado. I heard he was the go-to guy and, you know, people traveling in from everywhere to come in and see him and have him save their legs and their life. And so I had some patients that I was working with and I'm trying to ask everyone and anyone. How can I get in touch with this guy? I need to get these patients to Dr. Armstrong. No one seemed to know where he was until suddenly I was visiting a lab down in San Jose, Southern San Francisco Bay Area in California. And one of the sales reps for a company called Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated or CSI, they create that little rota, the um, sanding device, the orbital atherectomy, the one to unblock arteries. And and they also sponsor this show (laughs) and they also sponsor this show. So it's a really good point. But I just happened to be down there in the cath lab talking to this sales rep and watching procedures down there. And she said, you know, you really should go meet this Aaron Armstrong over in Napa. And I said, the Aaron Armstrong. (laughs) And so I was able to then get to meet him there get him a couple of patients. And then just when I'm getting used to him there, he's back to Colorado. And I'm telling him now you need to get the, that former football star, Deion Sanders to you (laughs) and have you save his legs. So Aaron, you know, we're talking (laughs) about you, but we might as well say hello to you as well.
4: (laughs) Oh, thanks very much, Kim. And sorry to have been so elusive in the past, but, uh, Glad to be back in Colorado as well, and uh, thanks for having me on the show here. I think it's really great. I'm really looking forward to hearing Nancy's story and uh, answering any questions about about carotid disease. Because so I think, John, as you mentioned, it, it is one of these things where the majority of the time people are not having symptoms, but you know, I think knowing that you have a severe blockage in the neck arteries and the the risk of stroke associated with it, I think you know the, the reality is nobody wants to have a stroke. And we'd like to do everything possible to try to prevent it as well.
2: Yeah, well and he did a couple of carotid cases this week, which I didn't, I was so sad. I was like, ah, I wish I knew I wanted to go watch them, observe them. But I did get to spend a couple hours in his cat lab, um, only a couple years old. It's absolutely beautiful, um, where he saved the leg of a, of a, a man who had a, um, a toe wound, and he was able to open up the arteries. And then I also had the opportunity to um, watch a venogram. Where he was um, checking out the veins um, in a very young patient, and he was able to get her back on her feet as well. So that was really fun to see you in action.
4: Yeah, it was great to have you there, Kim. And uh, yeah, we have a uh, we do a lot of work in the hospital, and you know the carotid artery cases uh, Kim mentioned uh, did in a hospital setting because patients do have to stay overnight um, after doing those types of procedures. But we also have our own freestanding surgical center where you know thankfully we can do a number of these leg procedures and patients go home the same day so it's a, really gives kind of the opportunity for patients to be treated in in different settings uh depending on kind of what's easiest for them from an access standpoint and um the ease of treating patients so it's yeah, great to have you
2: yeah and i hope to be back again Well, coming up right here on the heart of innovation, we're going to get into the heart of our topic of the day, which is carotids. And before we do, we're going to have that moment of inspiration from Dr. John Phillips. So stay with us, you don't want to miss that either.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
0: Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. One was out of your
3: vulnerabilities will come your strength. So, and then dovetailing into that, and again, this this was you know in the thirties or forties, and so he uses a man instead of a person, but he says a man should not strive to eliminate his complexes, but to get into accord with them. They are legitimately what directs his conduct in the world. And I think last last guest or last week's show was about a patient who kind of overcame. Obviously, that uh, acute heart attack and the coronary artery disease, and now we have Nancy coming on, who kind of overcame some uh, the carotid disease. So I, I like the quotes about you know kind of facing your your demons and and slaying them, um, and and it, and it allows you to have some balance in the world. So thanks to Sigmund Freud for those two quotes.
2: Yeah, and I think, Nancy, I saw you nodding your head. Um, it rings yeah. true to you. You felt like a ticking dime, time bomb for years, right? Yes.
6: Well, I've had a lot of things wrong. I've been fighting this over 20 years. Uh, diabetes, coronary artery disease. Um, I Also, with the coronary artery disease, I had a lot of angina and pain and misdiagnoses on uh, a couple of um stress test and i had a widow maker and um but i had an emt next to me who saved my life that was eight years ago and uh so i've been fighting it all and then i four years ago was diagnosed with best with with pad with peripheral artery disease and then a year and a half ago uh diagnosed with the carotid artery disease so i'm fighting it all i'm 70 years old and um I About a year and a half ago, like I said, I was diagnosed by an endocrinologist PA. She had a swishing sound in my neck and uh, was referred. She sent me for an ultrasound. I have brought artery, was sent to MUSC in Charleston, had a vascular surgeon there. She watched it for a year and a half and uh, was at 70% and then it inched up to 80%. And she just kept saying, it's too risky, it's too risky. And uh, when it started getting up over 80% a little, I... Contacted Doctor Anazana, um, and he said, "I want to get a CT scan." And at that point, it was ninety percent. So I had the T core surgery done June tenth, and it's successful. I did not. I am asymptomatic, and Medicare has just come in and approved people who don't have any symptoms. Prior to this, they didn't even approve T core surgery. So I was very fortunate. I was really blessed with all this. And I keep coming through. They say I'm like a cat with nine lives, but I'm fighting hard. So, So
3: Aaron, um, if you could share with us. So when you see a patient with vascular disease, uh, you're examining them, right? And let's say you hear the swishing or a brewy. What are you thinking of? What are your what's your treatment or testing algorithm? How do you how do you work that up?
4: Yeah, that's a great question, John. I think, you know, the first thing, and I think that's great, Nancy, that the endocrinology uh, PA actually heard a brewery in the first place because I think the reality is too often uh, physicians or or advanced practice providers are not listening to the neck arteries to try to hear breweries. Um, it's not a perfect test. There are cases where you can have carotid disease and not have a brewery, but, you know, if your uh, physician or uh, practice provider here's an abnormal sound in the neck uh, area, you know, that should set off some concerns that there could potentially be a carotid artery lesion. And the best screening test in those cases is a carotid duplex, uh, which is an ultrasound test. It only takes about 20 minutes or so to do, uh, but it can be very effective in identifying, you know, whether there is a carotid artery stenosis and in general uh, about how severe that lesion is. Um, the ultrasound is not nearly as specific as a CAT scan because the CAT scan can give you a, a very definite number, but it can give you a good range uh, and help determine what the next steps should be in therapy for chronic artery disease. Could I ask a
6: question? Yeah, yes, please. Why 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 do you we have to wait so long? I felt like a walking time bomb for a year and a half and it, it got to eighty percent. Every time I saw the vascular surgeon, she said, It's too risky, it's too risky. Where Doctor Antizana referred me to a neurosurgeon to do this and I just I'm so glad it's over with. What a relief and I'm okay and I got through it. I was so afraid of having a stroke during the procedure.
2: Right. There is something to be said about the, the fear that you feel when you're told that the arteries up to your your brain are yeah. starting to clog up and to be sent away with just some medication until, well, we're, we're just going to take a wait and see approach. It's too risky to touch. You do go home with a lot of fear
3: well you know i'll i'll answer it and then i'll let aaron um share his thoughts but there's a there are there's risks to having a procedure done whether it's a stent or a clean out surgically and so i think the physician and we know the we know the risk of having an event Without cleaning out the artery, meaning medical therapy is probably higher when the when the vessel gets narrowed to, you know, that 70 to 80 percent range. Um, and so we have to weigh the risks and benefits of the procedure, because, mm-hmm. again, like I mentioned or move, you know in the intro, patients who have coronary artery disease have symptoms and we put a stent in their symptoms get better. A lot of these folks don't have symptoms. They don't know they get a stent or whatever. They don't feel any different. You're just trying to reduce their stroke risk. And so you don't want the patient to have a stroke on the table having a procedure. And again, that's kind of, that's at least the philosophy that, that, that we use in our practice.
4: <clears throat> yeah. You know, historically the risk of causing a stroke when treating a carotid artery lesion, whether it's by surgery or with a stent has been around 4%. And so you know, we're looking for that point where a blockage is severe enough that the risk of having a stroke in the next year is more than 4% uh, so that we're not, you know, doing a procedure and actually increasing the risk of stroke. Now, I think a few things have changed about that recently. One is that with newer T-CAR procedures and newer types of stents and in the hands of experienced operators, the risk of a stroke is probably 1% to 2% uh, with procedures. The other thing, though, that's complicated is that with more modern therapies like statins and some other cholesterol medications, the risk of stroke per year probably has gone down compared to what it was studied initially, like 20 or 30 years ago.
2: We'll come up right here on the heart of innovation. We'll have more about carotid artery disease and some of the discussions about future treatments of it. So stay with us. Life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back everybody.
3: We're continuing our discussion about blockages in the neck arteries called carotid artery disease. And kind of before we went to break, Aaron, you were just touching on some of the treatment options. And so let's go back to that question I asked about you evaluated a patient, you heard a brewery or that a noise in the neck, you you got the the, the most uh, the cheapest and a, and a nice kind of test from a sensitivity specificity standpoint the ultrasound let's say the patient comes back and and we get these in ranges and they have what we call you know a moderate blockage 50 to 69 percent what are you thinking and and what uh, what are your next moves with respect to starting medications for them if any
4: yeah so for patients who have you know a carotid lesion that's under 70 percent so in that 50 to 69 percent range that's really where I think what's most important is to make sure we can address any risk factors for carotid disease worsening and medical therapy for it. So the mainstays of therapy, they have a lot of overlap with treatment of heart disease or peripheral arterial disease. So they include a, you know, a baby aspirin every day, uh, a statin, if you're able to take it, uh, or if not some of the newer cholesterol treatment drugs to get the LDL as low as possible. And then, you know, obviously smoking cessation uh, is a big one. Uh, and then uh, some newer data also suggests that some other blood thinners like rivaroxaban may have some additional benefits uh, in patients with carotid disease. Uh, patients with carotid disease were included as part of a big study called the COMPASS trial uh, that showed a reduction both in stroke, but also the other things that can happen like a heart attack. Um, you know, in patients with carotid disease, so so those are the mainstays of medical therapy.
3: And then, uh, let, let's say it's between that seventy and or greater than seventy percent. Do you then get more testing to kind of better define the blockage, or are you still sticking with assuming they have no symptoms? Because, right, we haven't, we're talking about people that don't have symptoms. Obviously, if someone has a blockage and they're having symptoms, meaning many strokes or have had a stroke, that puts them in a different category that needs to be addressed. They need to be treated. But these are asymptomatic patients. So now you've got a 70 to 80% stenosis. Are you thinking about anything different now, or are you still continuing with aggressive medical therapy?
4: Yeah. So, you know, definitely continue with the medical therapy. But generally, if somebody has a blockage that looks like it's getting above that 70 percent range based on an ultrasound, then what I usually do is get a a CAT scan of the neck and the head. And that's helpful for a few reasons. Uh, It tells you anatomically what's going on, but it also gives a more exact number for the percentage of the blockage and some other things like how much calcium is there in the blockage? Where is it exactly? And also, importantly, you know, uh, the head CT part of things could show maybe there is a history of a small mini stroke that didn't cause symptoms or something else. And and if that's the case, that might actually change kind of the the decision making about when to to treat the blockage as well.
2: And Marcy is calling in. Marcy has a question. Marcy, what is your question?
7: Okay. um, Years ago, uh, my right was... 60%, 60%, no one did nothing about it, and then it ended up being 100% the right side. So now the left side's 40%, and I have a lot of problems on the left side, like my face. My arms also, they said, was clogged, left arm. And then I had that aneurysm with my angel, Ken there, mm-hmm. uh, found me somebody, because I had an AAA, and no one was doing nothing about it. And uh, my legs were clogged, and I had, uh, I guess, grafts put in. And they, uh, then I was able to walk again, because I could hardly walk from one room to the other because of the hip pain, and I had injections, epidurals, and none of it was working.
2: Wow, so she's just been brushed off so much. And, you know, with that 100% blockage in her carotid and the history of it moving really fra- uh, fast, uh, progressively just getting worse and worse um, quick, now she has the other one. What should she be expecting of her doctor? What should she be asking?
7: And the neurologist also said to just like, uh, I forgot her name, <laughs> Uh Nancy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, he was saying
2: the same thing. It was too risky. Well, so you at know, what the, point, the, why are yeah. there so many different type, you know, philosophies on treating? Why do some treat? Why do some not treat? What are your thoughts?
3: Well, so the beauty of the the system, meaning blood flow to the brain, there's kind of four highways and I like to describe it as a roundabout up top. And so, you've got two in the two arteries in the front, two two in the back. The ones in the back, the vertebrae are a little bit smaller, but it, it affords you, I mean mother nature, god or whoever you believe in is pretty smart in the design and so you can have a blockage of 100% in one of them and then some mild blockage in the other one and still still be fine, right? Um but Aaron, it's an interesting question cuz a lot of people come to you and say, "Hey, this artery's blocked 100%. Why don't you open that up for me?" But we're really not doing that, are we?
4: No, we don't. You know, unlike in leg arteries or even heart arteries where we'll open up a 100% blockage, in general, if a carotid artery, if something happens and a carotid artery blockage has gone to 100%, unless it just happened a few hours ago where there's clot that could be sucked out, um, we don't treat those 100% blockages. And the main reason for that is that, um, as you said, there's other collateral pathways. Uh, and then also trying to open up that blockage the risk of causing clots to break off and go up into the brain farther is outweighs I think any benefits in those cases, so that's why we're trying to catch these blockages before they get a hundred percent, but you know once they get completely occluded, then the question becomes monitoring all those other blockages like on the on the left side, for example
2: Now do you wait she has a forty percent blockage in her other carotid artery. do you wait then until it's over seventy percent in order to treat it or? Do you start and try and do something now?
4: Um, I think in that case, uh, I'd do some close surveillance, so probably an ultrasound every six months uh, to keep an eye on things. And then I would would probably have a lower threshold for getting the left side treated. Um, So once it did get around that 70% range, then I'd go ahead and, and treat it. And another important thing is if you already have a blockage on the other side, um, you know, getting surgery is riskier, um, on it. And so it would be preferred to do some kind of a stent procedure, whether it's a T-car, uh, as was mentioned, or a carotid stent, uh, because you don't have to deal with the blood flow being blocked for a period of time as you do with surgery.
2: And well, we have a question coming in right now from Douglas. Douglas, what is your question for Dr. Armstrong?
5: Yes, sir. Um. Uh, so in the very beginning, what are some of the um, signs that you're having these issues? Does it have to? Do you have to have a stroke for this to be diagnosed, or ask your doctor about? Or
4: are there certain signs? Yes. Yeah, so that's one of the tricky things with carotid disease is a lot of the times you don't have symptoms until you have a stroke. So what I would say, you know, is that your doctor should listen to your neck to hear if there's a brewery. and If you have a history of heart disease or have peripheral artery disease, you know, I think it may be reasonable to consider getting a duplex of the carotid arteries just because the chance of having a carotid artery blockage is a lot higher. If you've got blockage in other arteries, the other warning sign uh, of carotid disease is a medical term called amaurosis fugax, which is a fancy way of saying a shade coming down over your eye. So if something happens where your your vision is fine, and then suddenly you go halfway blind in one eye, or even completely blind in one eye, that can be an early warning sign that a stroke is potentially about to happen. And that occurs because a little piece of clot will break off from the carotid artery and go to the eye artery. So that's one of the warning signs where if something like that happens, you should call your doctor or go to the ER emergently and, and get that evaluated. Because it could Looking be a right there.
2: On the heart of innovation we're going to give you a key question to ask your doctor to see if you are at risk of carotid artery disease and a potential stroke so you don't want to miss that stay with us
8: hi i'm simon greenwood a clinical vascular scientist originally from the uk currently working in calgary canada with this meets a medical notepad Today we're going to talk about what you can expect when your doctor orders a vascular ultrasound. Um, a patient would typically arrive at the reception area, have a seat in the waiting room, and get called through for their ultrasound exam. And when they enter the room, they'll be greeted by the sonographer performing the test. There's a separate changing cubicle in each room for the patient. And um, depending on what test has been performed, you may be asked to change into a pair of shorts. And um, once the patient is changed into the appropriate Um, attire and the patient will then be asked to lie down on the ultrasound bed um, and the technologist performing the scan will explain the procedure where they're going to be looking what they're going to be looking at and what happens with the patient's results uh, following the exam and for a leg arterial ultrasound scan we started the groin for each patient and then we basically follow the leg down to the ankle we're going to be applying some jelly and we're going to be taking pictures at multiple levels basically to ensure that we're imaging all of the blood vessels as we need to and um, making the most appropriate diagnosis. The majority of our tests are actually um, performed on the legs and it's for patients who've got pain when they're walking, numbness, tingling, um, cold sensation in their legs or non healing wounds. Um, so we perform an ultrasound scan looking directly at the blood vessels in real time to assess for any narrowings or any blockages and our vascular interventional radiologists will do a really detailed written report. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Simon Greenwood.
2: Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to StandAgainstAmputation.com. And for peripheral artery disease support, go to TheWayToMyHeart.org.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Just before the break, we were touching on some of the symptoms of, of uh, carotid disease, uh, many strokes, things of that nature, the curtain going over the eyes. But during the break, Nancy, you were sharing with us that after your procedure, you felt kind of a little bit sharper, had less fatigue. Uh, share, can you just share uh, with us some, uh, some of those, the change that you felt?
6: I think the biggest change was my mind just felt clearer. You know, um, it just like cleared up. Like other than a fog at times, and, and I just felt uh, just I felt so much better, just felt better, more alert. Um, subtle, it was subtle, but it, I feel so much better.
3: Aaron, is this a placebo effect, or is this real in your opinion?
0: <laughs> I don't
4: know. <laughs> uh, you know, I you know, I it is actually real. I have actually, I don't we don't see this all the time, but especially in patients who already had an 80 to 90 percent blockage by the time they're treated. I I would say about a third of the time patients come back and they tell me they feel sharper. They think they can think more clearly. I've also seen people who are sometimes very dizzy, um, which we don't usually think of as a symptom of carotid disease where that gets better as well. So I think it's an understudied area, but there are, you know, these other symptoms that we don't recognize otherwise that are related to severe carotid disease. Yeah
3: and and you know you and I are both interventionalists so we make our holes uh, with needles and tubes we're not surgeons so you, a lot of people listening might think well maybe if i have a blockage i should i should have a stent and but what are your thoughts on on having surgery for it
4: well i think you know all all the therapies that are available for chronic disease are effective um you know surgery of course was developed first and it was studied you know, back in the 80s or 90s, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And that's what forms the basis for treating uh, a blockage that's over 70%. There were actually studies where they looked at medical therapy versus surgery uh, in those cases, and surgery was shown to be better. And then subsequently, as stents were developed, there's been studies comparing stents to surgery, showing that they're equally effective. Um, You know, I think that it's a individual decision but it also can depend on some other factors like uh what the blockage looks like how much calcium there is there and also where it's located if the blockage is very high then surgery becomes a lot riskier and it's better to do a stent um versus uh where the blockage is in the neck artery itself so there there are a lot of complex aspects i think the most important thing though is just the decision to do a revascularization whether it's by surgery or by a stent
2: And it's nice knowing that there are a variety of options now, but there's still something to be said that if you do like a doctor or you're in an area that doesn't have all of these advanced options, that it's really good to go with. What does that doctor do all the time and where are they successful? What do they do well?
3: Well, I I think I'm going to let Aaron take this, but I think that is a huge point because in our institution, which is why I got away from doing is because we just didn't do enough of them, and so we said, "All right, we're going to have a couple of physicians do a lot of these." And and yes, like with anything, you want to have a physician who's done the ten thousand hours, right? The ten thousand hour rule. So the more procedures that a physician does, whether it's karate or anything, the better he or she is going to be. And you want to find a whoever does it, whether it's a surgeon, interventionalist. You want to make sure that they're doing a lot of these, right, Aaron?
4: That's absolutely true. I think that's true of any kind of procedure or surgery, but I think it's even more true with carotids because, you know, the risk of causing a stroke is something that no one wants to do. And there have been studies showing that uh, doctors who are higher volume at doing either carotid surgery or carotid stenting have better outcomes. So I think Kim's point about, you know, whatever it is your doctor does the most of and is best at, then that's the way to go.
3: It's it's interesting too because there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today that looked at experience age of hospitalists and their mortality rates and they found that the the younger hospitalists so the forty to you know I think it was under forty or then the broken forty to forty nine and whatever but the younger ones had a lower mortality rate. Than the older hospitalists, but conversely, surgeons and interventionalists, the older surgeons, the older interventionalists who had more experience had lower mortality rates. So, again, you just want to find somebody who does a lot of these. I think you
7: that's know key. Of anybody in San Antonio that specializes in that, I've had so many. We'll get
3: to you offline with that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really good question. We do need to find um, someone that, that does it. It's really important to meet with multiple doctors before you decide on who might be best for you and the option you're most comfortable with and does fit your situation best. But Aaron, there are a lot of um, discussions going on right now about the future treatment. And there is, I can say this, there is this push and pull between a couple of different practices, interventional cardiologists and vascular surgeons vying for what. You know, for these procedures, what's right, what's not right? Can you bring us up to date on these ongoing discussions? And especially, I believe they involve Medicare and reimbursement as well.
4: Yeah. So, you know, all of these uh, procedures, whether it's carotid endarterectomy, the T-CAR procedure, which involves a small incision in the neck and placing a stent in the carotid artery or carotid stenting, which is usually done through, you know, the groin similar to doing a heart stent. Any three of those procedures are approved by the FDA, but the reimbursement for doing them is actually different. Um, And it's complex, and there's a number of political reasons for it and whatnot, but um, carotid stenting historically has not been reimbursed by Medicare if it's for an asymptomatic patient. uh, Medicare will only pay for symptomatic carotid stenting. And there are some exceptions to that, and there's ways to do it in the setting of a trial But uh, right now, there's a reconsideration going on uh, with Medicare with regards to uh, paying for carotid stenting. And uh, things are looking pretty hopeful and optimistic, actually, that there'll be a change in the coverage decision, which I think ultimately benefits everyone because it helps allow more opportunities for treating patients uh, with whatever doctors think is the best way of treating their
3: carotid disease. That was a wonderfully politically correct answer yes. dr armstrong <laughs> you, you did not step on that landmine that that came <laughs> through in front of you
4: that's <laughs> right um,
2: on that note we'll be right back with final thoughts from dr Aaron armstrong and dr phillips on carotid artery disease as well as that critical question to ask your doctor to see if you are at risk so stay with us
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. So, Kim, we only have a
3: few minutes left. You have to tell me what is this crucial question that every patient needs to ask their physician.
2: Hey, doctor, what do you think? Let's... Chat And CHAT is an acronym for C, carotids, H is for heart, check the arteries, check for valvular issues, check for AFib, A is for abdomen, check for an aneurysm, an abdominal aneurysm, and T is for toes. Check those leg pulses, those foot pulses, those toe pulses to see if you're at risk for peripheral artery disease as well. So CHAT. Every single, especially if you have those high risk factors, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, former smoker, um, (laughs) obesity, any of those factors, or if you have any sort of symptoms, make sure you do ask your doctor every year, every appointment, please, doctor, let's chat. And Dr. Armstrong, especially with the carotids, it's as simple as just taking their stethoscope and putting it up to the neck.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, just listening at the neck is a good good initial screening test. And if you do have any of those other uh, problems, including blockage in the leg arteries, it's reasonable to discuss whether to do an ultrasound of the neck, regardless of whether there's a breather or not.
3: Now, and I'm um, well, no. So I, I was just going to say, Nancy, you had a, a pretty astute nurse practitioner listening to your neck. So kudos yeah. to whoever did that, because we... we I don't know about you, Aaron, but I've got a finite amount of time to see patients. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, that stethoscope for me, it gets pulled out every time. But I, I've had some colleagues that say, I don't even carry a stethoscope anymore. <laughs> so um, it always remind your doctor and, and be, be your own best advocate for
1: sure.
2: And I'm just curious, Dr. Phillips and, and Dr. Armstrong, when someone comes in and they're complaining about leg symptoms and you treat the leg symptoms, they come in for the follow up. How often or what are the incentives do you have to actually go in and say, well, since you have peripheral artery disease in your legs, artery issues there, let's check your neck, let's check your heart. How often does that happen?
3: Well, I mean, I think for those of us that are vascular specialists, we should be doing a head to toe vascular exam. It doesn't take but a few minutes. And we know that a certain percentage of these people have overlap or polyvascular disease. We've talked about it on the show. Ideally, you have them on the appropriate medical therapy, which includes an antiplatelet aspirin or Plavix or something, a statin or something for their cholesterol. You've talked to them about risk factor reduction. You talk to them about smoking cessation. Um, but yeah, as Aaron said, I mean, if you, you hear a brewery, get an ultrasound or patients who have uh, first-degree relatives who have had triple A's, so talking about family history aneurysms and get them screened. So there's a lot of tools out there that are cheap and very uh, effective to kind of screen patients, put them in the right bucket, and and get them the appropriate care.
2: And I'm curious, Dr. Armstrong, um, so many people are going to go get checked, and their doctors may tell them they have a 40, 50, 60% blockage. How can you ease their fears if their doctor says, yes, you do have this severe narrowing in your neck, arteries, you know, we're not going to treat you. How do you alleviate that fear that they are that ticking time bomb?
4: Well, you know, the good news is that even if you have some carotid artery blockage, uh, that blockage, if it's in the range of 50% or even 60%, you know, as long as you're taking an aspirin and getting your cholesterol treated, uh, you know, the risk of having a stroke every year is still very low. It's probably only one or two percent. It's really after the blockage is over seventy to eighty percent that that number starts to creep up and go above five percent. So I know it's scary to think about having like a forty or fifty percent blockage, uh, but the reality is that the risk of that progressing to a stroke is is actually still pretty low.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Doctor Armstrong, for joining us. For Doctor Phillips and all of our amazing audience, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you and all real have- quick.
4: What are you in Denver?
3: What are you going to do?
2: We're going to the Rockies, headed to the Rockies. And we do. I have Amish cousins, so we come from the Amish, and they came in from Pennsylvania by train and then by automobile, and we're going to meet them up there in the Rockies and hit the trails.
3: Fantastic. Hope is the weather good?
2: The weather, it's been a little stormy, but it's supposed to get up into the 80s and 90s and clear in the next couple of days.
3: Awesome. Enjoy.
2: Thank you. Bye, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank Take
6: you. Care.
1: Care. Bye, You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.